And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Major League Soccer kicks off its 27th season this weekend. While the league continues to see its on-field product improve alongside its involvement in the global transfer market, those advances have coincided with an unprecedentedly rapid rate of expansion. Charlotte FC marks the eighth new team to join the league since 2017, when MLS changed its roster-building resources given to expansion sides. How have those changes worked for the last seven launches, and what are fair expectations for Charlotte in year one? I'm Jeff Reuter, and this is Soccer Every Day for Thursday, February 24th. While launching a new club is a rarity in top-level world soccer, it's as synonymous with Major League Soccer as the allocation order, Chris Wondolowski, and forced rivalries. After the league consolidated by folding a pair of Florida clubs in 2002, they rapidly doubled from 10 to 20 teams in the span of a dozen years, often welcoming them in pairs. The next 10 teams have come even more rapidly, launching nearly a team per year since 2017. With so many new sides coming online, MLS needed to change its expansion process. Through 2015, teams would most often make 10 selections of unprotected players from all across the league. However, the idea of a returning team losing one of its top 15 players every other year just wasn't feasible. And the league's introduction of allocation money allowed for more interesting roster-building approaches and a greater variety in the terms of signing higher salary players or trading from within Major League Soccer. As a result, newcomers were given five picks rather than ten, with those lost selections being made up for with additional allocation money. Atlanta United and Minnesota United tried the new format first, and it has stuck ever since. The pivot made sense at face value. Allocation money is an incredibly valuable asset for teams new and old alike. While Orlando's eighth pick in the 2014 expansion draft, that's uh, Danny Mwanga if you're a longtime follower of the league, only ever played four games for the club before he moved on at the end of their first season. The theory, then, is to let new teams have more control over five additional roster spots, letting them test the global market to sign players who haven't been in Major League Soccer before, or trade sizable sums of allocation money across the league in order to bring in veterans that they believe can make a difference from day one. Well, how has that worked out so far? Uh, it's been a mixed bag. Atlanta United certainly saw more success with those early days than Minnesota United, uh, emphatically beating Minnesota in snowy conditions 6-1, to one, validating, simultaneously actually, <laughs> validating their own approach of building with a very fierce focus on Conmebol through Tata Martino as head coach, Miguel Almiron, Yamil Assad, Hector Vialba, Joseph Martinez leading the attack, compared to Minnesota United, who took what they believed was a pragmatic approach, uh, signing a large number of players from Scandinavian leagues and, and trusting that they would be more acclimated to the climate. Ultimately, that 6-1 ended up being 
uh, sign of where both clubs were at in the very, very early stages of their MLS existence. Atlanta United went on to make the playoffs, losing on penalty kicks in a heroic Zach Steffen uh, name-making performance and goal for the Columbus crew, while Minnesota United did not make the postseason until 2019, instead watching Atlanta United win the 2018 MLS Cup from their sofas in St. Paul. Next was LAFC in 2018, who were able to launch to great fanfare, akin to Atlanta United's, to be fair, with a stunning new stadium, a true leading man in Carlos Vela, a promising young Uruguayan named Diego Rossi, and one of the best American coaches of all time, Bob Bradley, pulling the strings on the sideline. They, too, won a trophy in their second season, this time in the form of the regular season supporter Shield. And, like Atlanta United, were immediately seen in the upper echelon of Major League Soccer. Ever since then, however, teams have seen uh, more hardship than successes, with one notable exception. 2019's launch, FC Cincinnati, struggled out of the gate, getting eight points in their first 11 games and deciding to fire head coach Alan Koch due to these poor results. However, that ended up actually being a higher points per game total than they would accrue over their first full three seasons individually, ultimately falling to a low of 0.59 points per game in the 2021 season. Austin FC came in 2021, and they too struggled out of the gates, finishing second to the bottom in the Western Conference. However, 2020 saw probably the greatest dichotomy between two teams as Inter-Miami entered a great fanfare, led by David Beckham as the figurehead face of the ownership group, uh, bringing in Diego Alonso as a highly rated coach, uh, and also signing some really significant talents. You know, in 2020, they were able to bring in Rodolfo Pizarro, who they hoped could be pulling the strings in even more of a playmaking capacity and maybe be their own version of Miguel Almiron. Meanwhile, they were looking at some European veterans with Blaise Matuidi and uh, Gonzalo Higuain joining in the middle of the season. Ultimately, however, Miami was overshadowed by a more hard-nosed domestic-focused expansion partner in Nashville SC, who largely built themselves with MLS veterans like Dax McCarty, Walker Zimmerman, Anibal Godoy, and CJ Sapong, looking to trust players who had been there before rather than taking risks on guys who maybe were looking for the highest, most lucrative salary that they could get. It worked wonders for them, and they finished seventh in the Eastern Conference. And in a COVID-stricken 2020 season, which saw the league switch to a points-per-game format that let in a tremendous amount of the league, 10 teams in the Eastern Conference, Nashville finished 7th place, a place that these days would make the playoffs any season. That 10th place team that they were playing in the first round? Inter-Miami. And they ultimately played them off the field, including an incredibly memorable sequence where Dax McCarty, one of the most respected defensive midfielders in recent MLS history, was able to just completely waltz through the center of the field with Blaise Matuidi desperately chasing behind him to no avail. Nashville called their process Moneyball. And, and these days, that's a term that's used a little bit too generously because everyone wants to sound like they're Brad Pitt. But the reality of it is that they were just looking for value across the league, which is all you can really hope for if you're building a new roster. You use your allocation money either to bring in players that you think are better than what you can get on an MLS salary scale, or you trade for players who other teams maybe aren't seeing as valuable as you are. You send a modest amount of allocation money for Dax McCarty because Chicago needs to go through a rebuild and wants to get younger at the defensive midfield position. You send a sizable amount of money to LAFC for Walker Zimmerman, 
and you see him turn into a two-time Defender of the Year, and he becomes immediately both the face of the franchise and the stabilizing figure in the back of the line, <laughs> in the back line, in the defense. Michael, I hope you hear that. If not, that's our producer's name. <laughs> you learned something today. Uh, ultimately, Nashville has immediately become a respected team, not necessarily to the same level of pomp and circumstances you saw around Atlanta United or LAFC, but they are expected to make the playoffs at this point. They were built with a coherent vision. They focused on the defense and the midfield to ensure that they would have a stable foundation to take some greater risks in the attack. It gave time for Hani Mukhtar to become a true MVP candidate in his second season as he acclimated to the league in, again, a very unique, difficult 2020 season. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So all of that said, what does that tell us about Charlotte? It's a mixed bag, and there's no clear blueprint for success in launching a team in Major League Soccer. Well, Charlotte's head coach, Miguel Angel Ramirez, is none too happy about the team's approach. Uh, two weeks before the season kickoff, he was doing some media availability where he was asked how he felt about the quality of the roster. He tried to be as diplomatic as possible, of course, saying that there were still two weeks and the team had tried really hard on a couple of fronts, but some signings had fallen through, and so he wanted to wait until the season to truly assess, to see what his roster would look like, and to see how they would be able to come together. Ultimately, however, he ended it with one damning quote. Estamos jodidos. We are screwed if you're around children. There's something else that you could fill in if you're not. To be fair to him, there are many signings that fell through. There were a couple of designated player wingers that they were really optimistic about signing who ultimately decided they weren't up for the project. I can't imagine having a coach saying that the team is screwed is a great selling point, to be fair. Meanwhile, the team had been banking on Riley McGree to be able to pull the strings in the midfield. But between his lukewarm excitement level for coming to Charlotte and some strong performances on loan in the Skybet Championship over in England... He was ultimately sold for a multi-million dollar profit before the team even had a jersey he could have held up in a signing reveal. They too made the expansion draft five picks. They took five picks in the expansion draft. And one of them looked to be the quintessential ideal for what you get in an expansion draft. With the protection rules now, homegrown players are automatically exempt from selection, leaving the MLS teams to protect 11 players who they believe outside of their homegrowns are the most valuable, the players that they want to build around, the players that they can't afford to lose for a mere $50,000 of, of allocation money for their troubles. Usually you'll see players who are kind of the tweener, second, third center back type. You know, someone like Anton Walks is a fantastic super draft pick as well, who went to Charlotte from Atlanta United. Someone who was overshadowed by Miles Robinson, but someone who had really become 
something of an on-field leader vocally and with his steady, dependable defensive play in his second stint with Atlanta. He, in theory, for a few minutes, was going to be joined in the back line with Tristan Blackman, a young right-sided defender who can either play on the right side of a back three or play as a right back, and had really blossomed into a true upper-level, mid-level, upper-mid-level young defender in Major League Soccer. He's a domestic player. You don't have to worry about an international slot. He's on a team-friendly salary, perfect type of player that you would want to bring in. And within a matter of minutes, they had traded him to the Vancouver Whitecaps for a pretty modest size package of allocation money these days. Now, there were a lot of questions around Major League Soccer about the wisdom of this, as again, this is the archetype of what you look for. These are young defenders that are hard to come by, especially with the pedigree of a Tristan Blackman. Ultimately, however, the idea of having the allocation money to do with whatever Charlotte wanted to do with was more desirable on draft day. And now, as we are just days away from the season kickoff, it's unclear if Charlotte does have an MLS-ready backline ahead of them. While the expansion push is not over yet, Charlotte is the 28th team that the league will welcome, and next year will be the 29th. St. Louis City SC, an absolute nightmare of S's all in a row, will come online next year uh, with Bradley Carnell as head coach and Lutz Fun and Steele and John Hackman pulling the roster together right now. Meanwhile, on Tuesday, Don Garber said in his State of the League address ahead of the season that he anticipates that Las Vegas will be announced as the 30th expansion market in the span of the next few months. New teams are always among the most interesting components of a new season's early weeks, but more often than not, they haven't looked ready for their close-up. Charlotte seems likely to join that lineage of shortcomers when they de debut on Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific against a frenetic DC United side which has plenty to prove this year after narrowly missing the playoffs in Hernan Lozada's first season. It's unclear how much MLS's own rules are to blame for a team like Charlotte, which had two full years to prepare after being announced, and only managed to get two wingers under contract before their first preseason. All the same, it's a harsh reality of MLS's accelerated growth spurt, and one of many storylines to follow in this new season. You can read more about MLS expansion and the on-field processes on The Athletic in a story which I wrote, which is linked to in the show notes. You can subscribe now on all paywalls for $1 a month in your first six months if you're a new subscriber. And signing up off of a soccer story is a vote of confidence in our ability to cover the sport in the United States and far beyond. I'm Jeff Reuter, and this has been Soccer Every Day. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 